Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Israel now, we've got Ukraine, and it's on and on and on, right? There's things going on everywhere, and it's in the midst of all that kind of stuff that John Eldridge writes this book, that we do this sermon series. It's why I wanted to do this, because things are uh, pretty intense right now. We've got a couple from our church, actually, they're in northern Israel right now, and so I messaged them, and I said, hey, you guys cool, what's going on there? And they were like, no, we're a little bit far away from it, but still, I mean, Israel's not like, it's not like California and New York, right? So, I mean, they're, they're somewhat close in proximity to that. And so, I just want to start off just kind of praying over all that stuff in light, again, in light of this series. So, Lord, I, I just want to bring this to you, this message. I want to bring this morning to you. And I just pray that you uh, will enter into this place with us because this resilient stuff, Lord, this this river of life stuff that you promised us, Jesus, this being spirit-filled in a way that changes the game for us, um, uh, it happens. All It has to happen in the midst of real life. I mean, these are not just ideas, Lord. These are promises that you give us in the midst of real difficulty. You see it lived out in the New Testament in the midst of difficulty and death and confusion and struggle and unfairness, Lord. And so I'm just asking you, Lord, to just speak peace to us. Lord, I pray your protection over Israel and over what's going on there. And again, Ukraine, just uh, so many things that we've been praying for, I feel like, over the last four years, uh, Lord. And we have to live in the midst of all of it. Lord, I, I don't know that our souls were meant to be able to digest so much all the time uh, globally, plus what's happening just in our day-to-day lives, Jesus. So we need you. Lord, we need you. And I ask you and I invite you, Lord, I beg you to meet us this morning. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, thanks for letting me start that way. Uh, and then I also want to start first by also thanking Tim, wherever he went. I think he went back downstairs. But Tim did a great job last week. Uh, he preached his sermon, Out of Resilience, from the heart. And if you weren't here for that, or if you didn't uh, catch that, I really would encourage you to go and listen. Because God was prepping his heart Tuesday and Wednesday of last week to preach what he was going to have to preach on Sunday in light of losing a family member on Friday night. And so uh, it was just him being really vulnerable and really honest about what God had been teaching him. So I just want to thank, thank, thank you to him and, uh, and that he did a great job. And this series, this whole series is done, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, out of this book, Resilient. Uh, this is what it looks like. I would definitely encourage you to get it, you know, maybe audio book, e-book, uh, paper book, whatever. Uh, it's a great book. It's been awesome for Tim and I to be doing this and thinking through some of these ideas together and then, of course, preaching through it. And the, what he talked about last week does catch or does connect to where we are uh, today. Uh, he mentioned it a little bit last week, but I want to kind of answer a question of, of how do we actually go deeper with God? Like, how do we actually descend into that, that inner part of ourselves that the Bible seems to talk so much about, but a place that I don't think a lot of us go really intentionally or very often? And I don't know if you've ever thought about your, the way that you're made, there's, there's levels to you. There's layers to you. And I don't mean like Shrek kind of peeling back an onion type of layers, right? Because most of that stuff is personality stuff. It's like walls that we build around our heart. Like it's that kind of stuff, like peeling away like all that. 
I'm talking about something more, uh, much more deeper inside of this. That this is something that, yes, we have, as you see here in Ephesians or uh, Hebrews four. There's this different, there's this different part of us, and that's where I want to take us this morning. Because for the Word of God is living and effective, or living and active, depending on your translation, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword or any two-edged sword. So it gets, it cuts right through everything to the point. The next part of the verse. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's like the Word of God, like what God has said, just drills right down into what is actually really important. It cuts through all the stuff and it gets right to the heart of matter. And Paul would also say this. And so I want to show you a few verses, actually a lot of verses today. We are in a topical series, so sometimes it's like we're kind of moving all over the place. And I'm not trying to give you proof text. What I'm trying to do is just show you what the full canon of God, so to speak, says about something as important as this deep place within us where the Spirit of God actually dwells. As a follower of Jesus, it's something that's got to be like, intrinsic to you, that you see yourself as having this place within you where God dwells. And so Paul, writing to a church where he's trying to encourage them about the end in 1 Thessalonians 5. So this passage comes in the midst of Paul saying, hey, this is what's going to happen at the end. And I want you to use this information that I'm telling you to encourage one another. And don't freak out about, oh my gosh, look at the world right now. I mean, this, like this stuff the Bible talks about, read Matthew 24, 25, where Jesus says, man, it's going to get crazy toward the end. It's like people are looking at the world around us. It's like, man, this seems like there's a new war popping up all the time. There's all this and all that. And Jesus in the midst of it says, I want you to have peace. Like, don't freak out. Paul, similarly, right here, he's saying, okay, so in the end, all this stuff is going to happen. And then he says, at the end of all that, he says, now may the God of peace, again, pushing that peace, don't worry about the end. The God of peace himself is going to set you apart. He's going to sanctify you completely. And then the next part, and may your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? This the totality of, of who we are. This wholeness, this, this picture that's much different. And then Ephesians 3, Brittany, uh, she prayed this, I think, three weeks over everybody. Um, and over three weeks ago, over everybody during the service, during our worship music portion. And it comes out of Hebrews 3, or uh, Ephesians 3, another one of Paul's letters to another group of churches in Ephesus on the next screen here. And so he says this to them. He says, I pray that he may grant you, that God may grant you, that Jesus himself may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with, and I underline this just uh, honestly, obviously maybe for emphasis, but for with power in your inner being through His Spirit. Now, this is really difficult because a lot of us as Christians, if you are a Christian today, if you're watching, if you're here, a lot of us aren't thinking a whole lot about this Spirit that dwells within me and the power that goes along with it. That over and over and over again in the New Testament, we're told to tap into, intentionally tap into, the Spirit of God that is within us. And that can be a weird thing. It can seem very, like, spiritual or, like, very, like, oh, yeah, it's just for, like, charismatic people. It's like, no, we're told over and over again that the same Spirit, as Paul also said, that lives within you raised Jesus from the dead. So as a follower of Christ, what he says is that you get his Spirit. And that means something. That's a game changer for us. But how do we go into that, that place? How can we be strengthened with power in my inner being through his Spirit? Like, how do I go there? That's what I want to think about today, about going deeper with God. And I don't mean, like, studying more or knowing more or knowing Greek or Hebrew, like getting real deep into the details. Like I'm saying, like, how do I descend into that place within me that God says is there, that he says, God says, Jesus says, 
is my source of strength and my real source of resilience? Like, how do I do that? And that's, again, the, the whole point of this series. So we'll cover a lot of scripture, but it's all because of trying to create a, a more clear picture, I guess a clearer picture of what we've been given, what has been said to us. And so Jesus himself, and again, I want you to just think about, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about not just your Savior, but I'm talking about somebody, if you're a Christian, you say, he's my Lord, he's in charge, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to listen to him, I'm going to trust him because of who he is, because of what he's done, and the words that came out of his mouth matter for me today in 2023, and the struggles that I'm going through, and the victories I'm going through right now. And this is one of the things that he says in John chapter 7. So the one who believes in me, that's a Christian, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And this is the focus uh, I want to have this morning. Like, well, if it comes from deep within us, like, how do we fill that up? How do we make sure that we're actually going there and experiencing something called living water? Jesus is really awkward about these things. Like, he didn't make it comfortable for people when he actually said these words in his time. He let people wrestle with it. He let disciples walk away from him. In the previous chapter, in chapter 6, he just, they didn't understand about the bread of life and his blood and all this stuff. Like, he didn't get it. And so they just bounced. They were like, ugh, it's too hard for us to understand. But he's talking deep truth here that's not easily digestible necessarily. But notice, belief leads to streams of life. And the reason that that is important is because, again, who Jesus is, actually. And so, here's the promise we have in Scripture. Life is tough, but what? Jesus is God. This is incredibly important to remember. Life, 100%, is going to be tough. Old Testament, New Testament. Genesis, all the way to Revelation. It's just one tough story after another. It's one difficulty after another. And in the midst of all that, God is saying, look, I will be with you. I will neither, neither leave you nor abandon you. Then you get to the New Testament. Jesus saying the same thing. 28, repeating the idea, I will never abandon you. Hebrews 13, 5, repeats the idea. He will never leave you or abandon you. Well, why would we need to know that? Because life's going to be awesome, and you're just going to pray everything you want into existence. You're going to manifest all your dreams, and God's just going to make you successful in everything that you want to do. Your kids are always going to listen. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren are always going to listen to you. Right? It's always going to be good. All you got to do is manifest it, pray it, and believe it, and it'll happen. Or is God just saying, life's going to be really, really hard, but just remember, I'm God, and I'm not going to leave you. I think that's the message that we get. That's why this stuff is important. Because knowing that Jesus is God, listening to his words is different when you say that's the creator of the universe. Because Jesus says you have access to something that's crazy. Look at this next screen here. We have access to the one, the Elohim, Genesis 1-1, that created the heavens and the earth. We have access, Job 38, to the one that bound the chains of the Pleiades, loosed the cords of Orion, and knows the ordinances of heaven. The one that placed all the stars and all the constellations that's scary power. That is like terrifyingly scary power. And yet, and yet, he says, I want to be a place of refuge for you. He takes that power and he says, I want not only two things. I want not only want to be a place of refuge, but that same power is going to be given to you to live inside of you. And these are really weird ideas. And again, it confused people in Jesus' day as well. But as a Christian, this has got to be something that you just think this way. Like, yeah, okay. The Spirit of God is going to live in me. Why? Well, because Jesus spent quite a bit of time in the upper room, John 13 through 17, talking about it and how important it would be and how like, the necessity of that in our life. 
would be just paramount, right? That is something that's easy to miss, though. Because he makes that same power a place of refuge. But it can be difficult to know that. It can be difficult to feel that when it doesn't feel like it. So, for example, every day when I get here on Sunday, I get here about 4.30, and before, like, everybody's here, obviously, it's still always pitch dark. And when I walk in, the stars, I don't know how many times out of ten, are out, but sometimes they're not, sometimes they are. Regardless, what I say when I walk in, I look up, I think of Psalm 19, and I say, Lord, there it is. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies display your craftsmanship. And I just sit out there in the middle of the parking lot saying this. And I'm glad there's not many people driving by because I know I'd probably look crazy. Just like, what's that dude in the middle of the parking lot for? Right? But I stand out there and I think about it because I want, want to remember that what we do here, what I'm about to do as I stand in, in front of you all, is I'm going to represent the God who did all that. And that's what this is all about. It's not about me. It's about the one who can do that kind of stuff. Then, sometimes I need to remind myself when it's cloudy, this morning it was beautiful, clear. I saw a million stars up there. But when it's cloudy, I always look up and I say, Lord, and it's still true. I'll recite that passage and I'll say, Lord, it's still true, even if I can't see it. Because I know that's how life is, isn't it? Sometimes I can't see the glory of God. Sometimes I can't feel the glory of God. Sometimes I can't see the one that placed Orion and the Pleiades. But I know they're still up there on the other side of those clouds. They're just doing what they were made to do, just proclaiming the glory of God, just being awesome. They're just up there doing their thing. But sometimes in life, I can't see through those clouds, and I can't feel that God is there. I can't understand sometimes that, you know, man, my life is awful right now, Lord. I, I, I can't even sense or feel or understand how you can be a place of refuge for me. And it's like any whispers back to me, but I still am. But I still am. And that's when it gets tough. That's when our faith meets the, uh, the rubber meets the road, you know, in our faith. So the, uh, how do we access that? So if he's going to be um, this place of, of refuge, here's what Psalm 18 says. The psalmist, again, the psalmist, they live through some difficulties. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. And this is right after King David gets rescued from Saul trying to kill him. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my, look at all these words, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, he goes back to my rock, where I can seek refuge, my shield and the power that saves me, my stronghold. So again, this is the creator of the universe that is also making himself a stronghold, a rock, and how do we get to that place with God? Eldridge, in his book, he says there's these three different layers to every single person. Uh, he is a therapist. He is a pastoral kind of guy, author, knows lots of people. And so what he's seeing in Scripture and what he's, what he's seeing in his, in his ministry, his counseling ministry, is that we all have these layers. And here's how he breaks it out. And I think it's a helpful way. It's based on Scripture as well, but it's also based on his experience. He says we've got the shallows in us. We've got the midlands. And we've got the depths. So the shallows, he defines as that place, and most of you can probably recognize this or identify this. The shallows, next, are the fleeting, mostly insignificant distractions of life throughout the day. It's like if you're in the car for 10 minutes, it's amazing how far your mind can bounce, right? You get in the car and you're thinking about one thing, but then by the time you get to wherever you're going, it's like you're on the other side of the world because it's like a thousand butterflies have just been let loose in your brain, right? Of all the things that you need to do, all the appointments you need to make, all the stuff that I leave the stove on, right? Did I, did I forget to shut the kitchen door? You know, like all those kinds of things you're thinking about all throughout the day and your mind is bouncing constantly. And he says, this is where most of us live all the time. We're distracted all the time by little things. And from like, as time goes on, you're seeing it more like through a phone. You're seeing it through technology, 
right? Because notice yourself and notice other people when you're out. The minute we have to stand still, bam, we're reaching for our phone, right? We're distracted. We're little things all the time. We don't sit well in silence. And then the next level down into, our, into who we are is what he calls the Midlands. And the Midlands are where those real-life pressures live. And the Midlands, he says, is where the tears and the sleepless nights come from. It's things like your health that seems to be just spiraling out of control. It's the health of somebody you love that's spiraling out of control. It's a job that you think that you're going to lose. It's a relationship you think is going to end. It's really hard stuff that you don't know what to do about. Like, you don't have easy answers to things that are here in the Midlands. And he says the, the problem with that is, is we're already so busy and distracted with a lot of insignificance in our lives that we really struggle to take the time to deal with the things that are in the Midlands. And that's like, that's, we're laying up at night thinking about it when everything's finally over. And then he says there's one layer down, and this is not where we take these problems. Because I'll admit, I messed prayer up for a long time. I used to say, well, you can't mess prayer up. I don't know that that's 100% true. Like, the words come out of your mouth, there's not like a perfect script or anything like that. People are like, oh, I don't know how to pray in public. I'm like, well, do you know how to talk in public? You know, like, it's not like there's no, like, rules that way. But as far as how I pray, I always thought, like, to go really, like, in deeper in my relationship with God, I had to take all this stuff and somehow pray in a deeper way with God. And what Eldridge is saying is, no, you need to pray passionately about these things that are here. But when you take this next step into the depths, that's where you go just to commune with God. Like, that is where you go just to spend time with God. You're not bringing your problems to that place. And he says nobody ever goes there. It's a, pr- a place that's spoken a lot of in Scripture that there's this place within us where, one, the Spirit dwells, and two, the strength comes from. The resilience actually comes from that place. And so if I'm trying to, trying to fill it with my problems all the time, I'm never actually drinking from what Jesus said is a river of life. I'm never actually spending any time with him. I'm just treating Jesus like a genie in a bottle or like a vending machine. Or he's just saying, no, I want you to come and commune with me. I want you to come and just spend time with me. It's like, for the longest time, I didn't even know what that meant. I just thought that meant, oh, I'll just bring my prayer request to him. But imagine if I did that with any one of you. Every time I thought quality time was just like, oh, hey, Melissa, I'm just going to dump all my stuff on you and be like, man, that was great. I'm glad we hung out today. And you're going to be like, gosh, that was a mess. You know, like, we didn't spend any time. And I'm like, yeah, I feel better, right? And so it's like, that's not building a relationship, but that's how I've approached God for most of my adult life, um, that I need to take my Midlands to the depth. But this is where the Spirit of God dwells, after you believe the Gospel. So what does, that, what does that look like? How do we know that? Ephesians 1, this is a biblical idea. This is where the Spirit of God dwells. Paul, again, in the book of Ephesians, he says to them, look, in Him... You also were sealed in Christ, in God, right? What he did, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth. What does that mean? He explains. He says, you believed the gospel of your salvation, right? You said, okay, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus, the whole purpose he came for was to say he has an eternal answer to the problem of sin that I have in my life. I don't get eternity in heaven with all that Jesus does here on earth. Right? And I know that here on earth, I'm going to need him as well. I need him to be my, not just my Savior, but my Lord. I need him to be in charge. So Paul says, when you have that moment, when you cross that line, you'll receive the Holy Spirit as a seal. But where does that go? Little kids often think that Jesus literally lives in their heart. So if you ask, like kids, young kids, which we did several years ago, we said, draw a picture of what you think it means that Jesus lives in your heart. 
and they drew these pictures of like their big bellies and their like chest were all exploded because they're like, Jesus has got to fit in there somehow. He's this grown Jewish guy, and somehow when I accept him as my Savior, he's got to fit in there somehow, right? Because we say that. Well, Jesus, you have to accept Jesus into your heart. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, are we actually doing it? Is that a biblical idea at all, or do we just say that? Well, it does actually come out of Scripture in the next uh, two chapters. In Ephesians chapter 3, so here's the whole scope of a verse that we've read several times during this series. Paul says, I pray, again, this is just two chapters after him saying you're sealed with the Spirit once you believe. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit. So that same Spirit that dwells within you, that marks you for eternity, he's praying that you're going to be strengthened with power in your inner spirit because you have that spirit within you. This is a message for us, 2023. It's not just some spiritual message in a long begotten time. So here in the next part, though, now he fleshes this out. And may Christ dwell in your heart through faith. Now, he's not obviously talking about your actual heart. He's saying that, that the spirit of God is going to dwell in the deepest, most important part of who you are. Like that's how we should view our relationship with Jesus, that he absolutely consumes the most important part of who I am, through faith. I pray that you, being rooted in that truth and firmly established in love, that because these things are going to happen, you're going to be able to understand something unbelievable. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width, the height and the depth of God's love. And know Christ's love that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is not easy time. This is just life. This is regular stuff here that because of the spirit that lives within me, I can, I can have this kind of power, that I can have this kind of peace, that I can know and understand and search the depths of my soul with Jesus. Like, this is stuff that we don't do well. We don't do a great job of giving our attention to this, especially if you've got young kids, especially if your life is just busy. It's hard to say, all right, I'm going to carve out, like Brittany said, like 10 minutes a day where there's just not much going on but me just trying to commune with God because He actually wants a relationship with me. But this is the kind of stuff that we see in Scripture, and it's something I do believe we can learn to be able to understand, even though it says right there, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, but we can grow in our knowledge of that. And that's a pretty cool promise. But how do we do that? What Jesus says is that we have to be intentional. Look at John 7 again. A couple more verses to give a little more context. We read this verse earlier. He says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So that means you have to do something. In faith, yes, and God's going to do things that you can't sometimes even when you don't come to him. But just like he said in Matthew chapter 11, if you're weary and you're burdened, you need to what? Come to me. Like, you actually have to, you do have to do something. There's something that's unbelievable available to us, but we've actually got to come and experience it. We actually have to carve out that time to commune with Him in the midst of just everyday busy life and come and drink from this river of life that He's talking about. Because in the next verse 38, the one who believes in me, right, Christians, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. I mean, that, to me, is such a refreshing picture that Jesus gives us. And he's saying, if you really want what your soul wants, if you really need what your soul needs, you're going to find it in me. But you have to go, and you have to like, develop, you have to learn to commune with the Lord in that way. Step into those scary places where we have to just quiet our souls and listen to God 
and I ask you to listen to him when the world is overwhelming. But Tim, last week, he pointed out the problem with all of this. Like, yes, come to me, all you who are weary. Come and drink. This is the invitation that Jesus is constantly giving. But the problem is that we have a huge difficulty, huge difficulty with eight inches of separation between here and here. Tim shared very openly and very honestly last week that understanding it here and just sharing what he learned is one thing, but to say, I need to take that knowledge and let that go down into my heart is a completely different scenario. To say, okay, I'm going to live this, Lord, and I'm going to let you have this uncomfortable space in my soul, and I'm going to lean into you and then have God absolutely be there and show Tim, like, this is what I was talking about when he lost a cousin that was close to him last Friday night. Right? So for God to prepare him and then Tim like to actually feel those feelings and, and walk through that uh, emotional trauma of losing a family member, it's like he realized, man, there was agencies of separation, that, that the message was getting lost. And I think that's for a lot of us. Knowing it here and then letting it seep down is a tough thing. But here's how Jesus put it. Matthew 28. Again, this is a biblical idea. He says, Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is with everything that we are. This is really, really difficult because this requires us to really be focused and actually say, all right, Lord, I need you with my heart. I need you with my mind. I need you with my soul. And it starts with, Eldred says, it always, finding God always starts with loving God. Deuteronomy 6, that's what he's quoting here. That's what Jesus is quoting here. Like, can you actually slow down enough to say, Lord, I love you. Love is romantic for us in the West. Love is an emotion for us in the West. It's not really like a firm decision that I'm just going to make and say, I'm just committed to you and I'm going to love the Lord with everything that I have and everything else will follow. Obedience, right? Wisdom, all the things that promise, those things follow. But first and foremost, God says, I just want you to love me. And just slow down and just love me first. That's step one. That's hard. It's hard when we're busy. So here's how Eldridge puts it. So very practical sermon, hopefully, today. Here's seven things that I pulled from the book that he says we need in order to be able to go into those deeper places with God. So first and foremost, he says we need to be single-minded. He gets this from Psalm 130. And this is where his direction comes from about our focus on God. So Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Like, I, that's who I'm going to keep my eyes on. When things are falling apart, I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. That's what my focus is. And then he says, specifically in the next verse, My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. And for emphasis, more than a watchman for the morning. So we don't have many, many watchmen nowadays, but if you're back in the day and you're on a tower, on a wall, and you're the watchman, what are you doing? Who are you responsible for? Yeah, everyone. Your attention to detail affects everybody behind you. Everybody that you care about is dependent on your single-minded focus on what is out there. Whether it be the enemy or perhaps the king coming back, whatever the thing is, your focus has to be razor sharp. And he's saying, that's how I want to be. When my soul is struggling, I know it needs to slow down and stay focused on the Lord. Just like a watchman would. It's a single-minded focus when you're crazy distracted. Because if this week when we're doing our fast, what if you said, this week I'm not going to do any social media. I'm not going to pick up my phone or my computer or a TV 
unless it's related to work and something that you absolutely have to do? What would your whole week look like if you fasted from distraction? Something like, I have no idea. My kids would eat each other. I don't know. Right? So having a single-minded focus. And then that, that ties into number two. He says, okay, so if you have this kind of focus, then number two, you need to tune out to be able to tune in. And again, this is a difficult one. That means all the busyness, all the distraction. We invite a lot of busyness and distraction into our lives and don't even know it. I talk to so many people and they're like, oh man, we're so busy. And I'm like, oh yeah, like why? And they're like, well, you know, just, you know, with, you know, kids and, you know, like they can't come up with anything. They don't know why they're busy at first because we're just, we, it's like we're programmed to just say that. We're like, oh, I'm so busy, right? And we think that. And I'm not saying that we're not, but a lot of times it's like we're inviting a lot of distraction in because then I'll be like, oh, what'd you do like with your evenings this week? And then some people, like I drill down and I'm like awkward because I'm okay being awkward, whatever. And I ask and they're basically just like, they're watching TV, they're scrolling social media, Right? Like, that's what's keeping them busy. So, again, what if we cut some of that stuff out? Like, what, what would happen to our souls if we did that? And what Eldridge, what, what he says, he gives us a specific name. He says this is benevolent detachment. And this is an interesting thing I thought was dumb. I'll be 100% honest with you. I thought this was dumb the first time I heard this and Get Your Life Back. It was a small group study we did as a church several years ago. And he said this is kind of a gateway into the depths. So it's, it's not trying to take everything down into this place of God. It's actually leaving it behind for just 10 minutes and saying, Lord, there's a lot of my life I can't control. There's a lot of things that are stressing me out that I'm not even sure what to do about. But the prayer to get down into the depths, the gateway, so to speak, is, Lord, I give you everyone and everything, God. I give you everyone and everything. These things are important. These things are real. But, Lord, I just need you right now. That's tough to do. That's tough to do. I'm going to just kind of put this on the shelf a little bit, Lord. Help me so that I can spend time with you. This is a very biblical idea that is really, really hard to sink down into. And we're so busy that it's hard to make the time to do it. But God actually cares about us. Look at First Peter 5. Where, he's get, where he gets this idea is out of First Peter 5. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He actually cares for you. So give him these things. That's benevolent detachment. Lord, I give you this stuff because I need to be with you. I know you care about me. All right? So that's be single-minded, tune out to tune in. Number three, renew your love and devotion to Jesus. Again, this is not a, an emotional thing. It's just, Lord, I realize you say twice, very clearly, Old Testament, New Testament, the most important thing that I can do is just to love you. Like, help me start there. Help me even know what that means. It's not just a romantic thing. Like, help me understand Jesus. I, do you do that with God? When you're confused about something, do you ask Him, Lord, I don't even know what to pray about. Can you help me just what to pray about? Lord, I don't even really know what it means to just be, like, to love you and be devoted to you. Can you show me in your word? Can you just speak to my heart? Can you help me with this? Because I don't even really know how to do that. I have trouble enough, Lord, loving myself. How am I supposed to love you? Like, have an honest prayer like that. Is so healthy because that's what Jesus has met me so many times in prayers like that. And then number four, create margin in your life to allow for recovery and resilience. You know, a couple times a day, take ten minutes just to say, I'm going to have ten minutes. If you got little kids, man, I'll let you watch whatever you want and eat popsicles, candy. I don't care. You know, you can burn the house down. Just give me ten minutes, ten minutes, right? And that you can do that. And it's like. 
just carving little bitty chunks of time out to say, Lord, I need, I need to let my soul recover. I need to build resilience. And again, that could be turning tech off at 8.30 at night so that you're, now you're like bored and you don't know what to do. Well, maybe you'll just pray. <laughs> maybe you'll just go to sleep, you know, uh, instead of staying up for one. So it's like creating margins. You're not always at the edge of your strength. That was a great point that he makes, and he actually talks about that a lot in the book. Number five, I really liked this one. Mental resilience begins when we decide to take hold of our thought life. Mental resilience, toughness, begins when we decide to take hold of our thought life. So what does that mean? All right, so he gives a bunch of examples, and I just wanted to put a handful up here. I thought they were good. Stop speculating. Stop speculating. This looks like, why did they look at me like that? Why didn't they respond right away to that message? You know what I bet they're doing? You know what I bet they said? You know what I... And then we lost the races, right? For a million different things. Why didn't my boss reply to that? Oh my gosh, they're going to find me. Right, and then we're off again. We're speculating. Why, 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 why? You watch the news too much, you start speculating. Oh my gosh, this is the end. I need to start storing food and gold in the backyard. Uh, right now, I need to start going and doing this, right? And we're off to the races. We're speculating about things that we can't control. And I'm not talking about not being prepared. It's totally fine to be prepared. But what Jesus says is you need to relax. Sermon on the Mount, right? One of the most important sermons uh, Jesus gave. Look at this next slide. Matthew 6. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Like Jesus is like, relax, relax. Not, not being unprepared, that's what we're talking about. It's not thinking, like not thinking about tomorrow, like that's not good either, but just worrying, speculating about the future. Jesus speaks specifically to that kind of stuff, right? Because it wears us out. Another thing that's going to wear you out mentally and chip away your mental resilience is this next one. Binging the news and social media. And I say news because most of it is just entertainment now, right? Every five minutes they have breaking news about the same thing that they've had breaking news all day in the last week and a half about, right? But they have to keep pumping it up. They have to keep using fear to keep people drawn in to what's happening. And it's over and over and over again. And studies clearly show, hear me on this, this is not like just, oh, yeah, Patrick, like studies clearly show there's a direct correlation to your level of anxiety and depression in relation to the amount of news and social media that you binge. So if you want to be depressed and anxious about everything all the time, keep watching the news and binging social media all the time. Because there's clear lines that they rise together. So think about that. And we're all obsessed with binging stuff, right? We're checking out and binging other things. But these two things particularly are going to wreck your mental resilience because you are going to be just strung out all the time. This one here, I don't know who needs to hear this one, but he mentions this one. Stop negative self-talk. Stop negative self-talk. Because we so often repeat lies to ourselves based on maybe what somebody said when we were younger, based on things people have said when we're older, things that we've developed in our own minds. I'm so stupid, I can't believe I did that again. I'm so awkward. I'm not good with people. On and on and on and on and on. We have all these little things. People looking at the mirror, I hate myself, I hate this, I hate that. And we just pick ourselves apart. And so many people have such, such negative self-talk. But what Eldridge says is instead of that, how about you start focusing on and paying attention to those things that you're speaking negatively about and start memorizing some scripture. So what he says is we need to be reading and memorizing some scripture, maybe around those things. So that, like Romans 12 says, I can be transformed by the renewal of my mind. 
Like, there's been nothing healthier, I think, in my life that God has just spoken in such specific ways to of memorizing Scripture around things that I need in my soul. Things that I'm just wrecked about, and I memorize Scripture about them to remind myself who I am and what God says about me. That's really, really important. So being transformed, man, that's, that's a huge deal. And he says, you know, just about our mental resilience. And then he talks about emotional resilience. And this is one that, like for me, when I listen to people talk, when I watch what's going on around me, younger people especially get drilled with the emotional stuff. Uh, young people nowadays, they just, they want to live by their emotions. They just, they, all that matters is how they feel. And it's like, yeah, I think there is more of that, potentially. But what I do know is that older people are just as bad about this. And I'll give you a couple examples of how. Just a couple. So people are like, oh, I just don't feel like I'm in love anymore. And then what happens? I stop working on my marriage. I stop fighting for my family. I start watching pornography. I have affairs. Right? I start checking out with hobbies. I come home and I'm there, but I'm not really there. That's what it looks like. I don't really feel like I'm in love anymore, so I'm done. I start looking for it elsewhere. Right? That's, that's been happening for decades and decades and decades. That's not a young people thing. That's adults being driven by their emotions and how they feel. That kind of stuff gets transferred to God. I don't know. I'm not really feeling it, God. I'm not really feeling it. And it's like, is that the marker? For the one who created the universe, whether or not you feel the warm fuzzies, right? And people expect that. Like, if I had my quiet time, I don't know, I just didn't really feel like God was there. I didn't feel anything. You know, I went, I went to church, I went to a concert, I went to this, I went to a Christian conference. I don't know, I just didn't really feel it. Adults talk like that all the time. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel something when you're with God, but if that's your marker, man, that's a tough one to chase. But again, we're driven by our emotions. And so he says we cannot be driven because those are not the most true thing about us. If you've lived any amount of time and you've been willing to be introspective at all, you know that your feelings can totally lie to you. Totally lie to you. Right? I'm worthless. I just feel like nobody loves me, nobody cares about me. And what kind of things happen when people do that? This is very real stuff, right? So our emotional resilience, it puts you, not your emotion, in the driver's seat. And what Eldred says is that we honor our emotions by acknowledging them. But this is the important part. We bridle our emotions by keeping them subject to truth. Your emotions are real. They're valuable. God gave them to you. But we need to make sure we check them with the truth. With what God has said, having good people in our life. It's why community is so important. Having people in your life that are like, no, man, what are you talking about? Right? That are willing to say those kinds of things to you so that you can live and grow in community. So a lot of great things he said in his book about those two, about emotional and mental health. And then the last thing that, uh, that I'll give from his book, at least, is that he says, make a daily rhythm. Just make a daily rhythm. Start somewhere. Five, ten minutes every morning with God. Maybe a little bit of time in the afternoon. Do something that's manageable, though. Don't do like a New Year's resolution, like I'm going to be in the gym for at least three hours, seven days a week. I'm going to be vegan. I'll never eat sugar again. And man, I'm going to be great. And two days later, you're eating a box of donuts. You know what I'm saying? Because you've like dropped the ball and you feel awful about yourself. And now you're just like, you know, so make a daily rhythm. I talk to so many Christians that get so discouraged because they miss a day or they're not this or not that. It's like, man, just commit to just having a daily rhythm. Start somewhere with Jesus. Because he says, I just want you to love me with all your heart and soul and your mind. Because I'm here for you. Like, man, I die for you. Like, I want relationship. I want relationship. The obedience, getting your life right. Again, wisdom, faith, all those things. It's like the Spirit gives us those things. But start somewhere. All right, so let me recap our seven. Uh, and hopefully some of these, at least one of these, is practical for you. 
practical for you. So be single-minded, right? Like really, really focus on what you're trying to do with the Lord, keeping your eyes on Him and trying to figure out what that looks like, actually drink deeply from the well. Number two, tune out to tune in. Find what is distracting you in your life and try to start cutting those things out. Car rides, evenings, mornings, all that. There's like all this time that we have. Try to figure out what yours is. Number three is renew your love and devotion. That, I think, is a prayer point. What does that even mean to love you? What does it mean to really put you in the driver's seat, Lord? And number four, we get now into our, um, how, you know, how we actually, so creating some margin to allow for that space. Number five is more mental resilience. What is stringing you out? What are you inviting into your life that's stringing you out and that you're just doing to yourself? It's a good question to ask. And then emotional resilience, the next one, making sure that you are in the driver's seat, not your emotions. Right? Bridle your emotions with the truth. And then the last one, start somewhere. Make a rhythm. Start somewhere with the Lord. And just watch what He does with that little bit of time that you're faithful with. Right? So let me close with a prayer. Every week we close with a prayer out of Elders' book. And I just want to share these words with you. It'll be up on the screen. And I just invite you to, to, I don't know, make them your own. Let them wash over you, whatever, whatever. But this is a, this prayer right here is His example of pushing past the shallows, past the Midlands and into the depths. Lord, I just want to commune with you. I just want to be with you. Right? Jesus, I long for your presence, Lord. Help me commune with you where you live inside me. Jesus, would you help me commune with you where you live inside me? Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you, God. I give everyone and everything to you. I give all those things that fill the midlands of my soul, all those things that I've been worrying about, the things I've been fearful over. Jesus, I give you the midlands. Holy Spirit, help me to send. Holy Spirit, help me to descend. Help me locate Christ in me. Help me follow Jesus down in the depths of my being. I pray to commune with you right there. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you. I love you, God. I, I love you. God, I love you. I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, that's all we got for today. Love you all. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.